continuing our series called The Kingdom. What we're doing is we're looking at this concept that we find multiple times in Scripture. It uh, talks about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus even says in the Lord's Prayer, he says, and we're familiar with this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what does this kingdom uh, thing look like? What is it all about? It's important for us to, to talk about this because we don't naturally understand the concept of kings and kingdoms. It's just not the way we live life. It's not the way we're, we're used to uh, uh, living in society, living in culture. It, last week, Jan, or, or Jan, uh, talked, if you were here, uh, he, he talked, he had a great message. If you were not here, I encourage you to, to go online, go to Facebook, go on our website, and check out uh, the message from last week, it was, it was excellent. And part of what he was saying is not just that we're unfamiliar with the concept of the kingdom, but there's actually a sense in, in us that it's wrong, that the United States exists because a group of people rebelled against a king and a kingdom and said, we're going to do this differently. And so uh, there's this kind of thing in us that makes the whole kingdom concept a little bit tricky for us to understand. We are walking through the book of Matthew because Matthew is very much connected to this concept of kingdom uh, language. And so we're learning what, what Matthew has to say uh, about the kingdom. So we're, we're walking that through. And essentially what we're driving at is that the kingdom means living life with Jesus as the king. It means we're making our decisions. We're having our relationships and, and, and deciding what to do tomorrow and the next day based on Jesus as the king of all kings. Jesus is the king of this kingdom. Jesus is the king of our lives. This morning what we're doing is we're talking about what it looks like, what it means to come and dine at the king's table. What does it mean for us to come and sit at the king's table? Who gets to do that and what does it look like to sit at the king's table? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you uh, that um, we get to gather here in this place and uh, we acknowledge you as king. Father, we, we uh, want to bring the respect and the awe that is due to you as king to, to not view you as our, as our buddy, but God, you are the creator. You are the sovereign Lord of all. And so we wanna hear from you today as we live in your kingdom, as we figure out what it means to experience your kingdom more. Would you, as king, speak to us here today, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. As I said, we're looking at the book of Matthew. So uh, if you brought your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. I do encourage you to bring your Bibles, uh, the, the, the scripture that, that you are hopefully looking at throughout the week and reading and connecting with, we bring that into this place and we kind of get reminded of this, that these are the words of the king that are spoken to us, that are written for us so that we can understand more about who that God is and how we can live life. So we uh, encourage you to bring your Bibles uh, if, uh, if that works out for you. So Matthew chapter 9 is where I'm getting started. Just looking at a few verses here this morning, beginning in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now just pause there for just a moment. There's so much going on there in one verse. 
So first of all, we have the tax collectors. And just perhaps as a reminder to you, the tax collectors were Jewish and they were despised by their fellow Jewish people. Because what they did is they took money from Jewish people, they took a cut for themselves, and then they provided that money to the, Roman, to the Romans who occupied that region at the time. And so it was Jewish people taking money from their own folks, often getting wealthy off of it, and they were despised by the Jewish people. It's interesting to note that this story of the calling of Matthew is found in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This one, of course, we're reading from is, is Matthew's own story in the book of Matthew. In Mark and Luke, they both refer to the person in this story as Levi. Now, Levi changes his name to Matthew. They are the same person. Levi becomes Matthew. And it often happens in, in, the, in the scriptural story. We see names getting changed like that. But what's interesting is that Mark and Luke most likely use Matthew's old name in order to protect their buddy because he was a tax collector and they were despised by Jewish people. Matthew at this point, the, these gospels were written many years after Jesus had ascended into heaven. At this point, Matthew was a celebrity. I mean, he was a big deal. He was one of the disciples. And so most likely Mark and Luke were saying, hey, let's write this story with Levi's name so that we can disconnect from the Matthew that we all know and love. And what I love the boldness of Matthew, when he writes his own story, he, he doesn't say Levi, he says it was Matthew who was a tax, who was at the tax collector's booth. He's saying, he's saying, I'm not hiding from my past. I'm not hiding from my sin. All the more, I am celebrating what the king has done in my life, what the king has recovered me from. He's not hiding. He's not secretive about this whatsoever. We'll find out later on in the story just how consistent that is with the whole concept of sitting at the king's table. So here in this verse, Jesus says, follow me. It's one of my favorite phrases in all the scriptures that, that, the, that the king says to these 12 disciples, come, follow me. This isn't a command, it's an invitation. And it's the same invitation that Jesus extends to each and every one of us. Come, follow me. Not go to church, but follow me. Come, be a follower, a disciple of the one and only Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot happening here in this verse. Okay, let me continue. Verse 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So here we have the table. Now, I can only fit three chairs here around this this wonderful table that they had set up. This is, doesn't this look awesome? Uh, but uh, there are only three chairs here. But imagine there's a whole lot more chairs. Imagine this is where the sinners and tax collectors have gathered. And this is where Matthew is. Matthew says, yes, I will follow you, Jesus. And he has dinner with Jesus, the, the rabbi, his new rabbi. The sinners and tax collectors are over here. And uh, the disciples are also gathered there. Some of the other disciples who had been called by Jesus have also gathered for this meal. And what we have here in this setting is while they're eating, the Pharisees find out about the meal. Now, I don't know how they find out. I don't know who their spies are. How do they know this much of what's going on? But the Pharisees show up. 
And the Pharisees are the religious elite. Uh, they don't have political power, but they have tremendous religious power. They're the ones who interpret scripture. They're the ones who understand the law. And the Pharisees come in and they don't like what's happening here. And they say, who are you? What is this happening here where this rabbi is eating with sinners and tax collectors? This is, this is, this is against the law. This is against Jewish law to, for a rabbi to sit with known sinners like that. So the Pharisees are uncomfortable with this. Pharisees are struggling, but you imagine how uncomfortable this is for the disciples. So we have a few new disciples who've gathered here at the table, and, and, uh, and here they have a brand new rabbi that they don't know that much about. They're just, they just said yes to this Jesus as their rabbi, and they're gathering to sit. They have the tax collectors sitting over there that they're not comfortable with at all. They don't like the tax collectors. Why did Jesus invite Matthew to be one of them? That's a little bit awkward for them. Then they have the Pharisees over here, the leaders, the religious elite who are challenging them about what's happening. And they're just going, I just came for the meal. You know, I mean, can you imagine how uncomfortable that would have been for the, uh, for the uh, poor disciples there in that moment? They really don't have a role in this story yet. They are just trying to figure out who they are and et cetera. But this would have been an awkward moment for them. And you got the Pharisees standing over this table judging what's happening. They're more interested in avoiding sinners than avoiding sin. And that's what Jesus is very unhappy with them about. They, they, they don't want to associate with those over there. They're avoiding sinners, but they're not working on the sin in their, in their own lives. And that's what Jesus challenges and questions. And Jesus, of course, is sitting at this table He's invited these folks in. He didn't invite the Pharisees, but they came in anyway. Jesus is sitting at this table, and he's not just tolerating the tax collectors and sinners. He's enjoying them. He's having a meal with them. He is honoring and respecting them, connecting with them, enjoying this meal together. I just imagine him laughing and telling stories and enjoying these outcasts from society. They're an outcast because they're sin. The, the, the disciples are an, are an outcast as well. They, they, were, they were nobodies at this time. And Jesus was just gathering around, gathered these folks and honoring and respecting them, enjoying them. Can you imagine? Just imagine what it would have been like to sit at the table with Jesus. He's the king. Now, he hasn't been crowned king right now. He's just a rabbi and he hasn't done his miracles. He hasn't done all that kind of stuff yet. But he's the king. Make no mistake about it. From the very beginning of scripture at creation, he was there. He is the king. Do you imagine what it would be like to be one of the disciples sitting at the king's table. The disciples were young nobodies sitting at the king's table. This isn't a brand new concept. We actually find this in the Old Testament. The greatest king Israel had known before Jesus was King David. And there was a time when uh, David was king, he found out that there was a living relative of his predecessor, King Saul. Saul was there before David. And typically, you, you've read the stories and seen the movies, etc., that typically when a new king comes into power, they annihilate all the family members of the previous king just to make sure there isn't any competition for, their, for the throne. And so this would have been 
common in other kingdoms and the way things work. And so David finds out that there's one living family member from Saul's family. His name is Mephibosheth. I always have to be careful when I say that name. You can, some of the Jewish names, you can cuss, you know, just by trying to pronounce them. So, so his name was Mephibosheth. And David finds out about him. And he's scared. He's terrified because he's assuming David wants to find him to kill him. And so he's nervous. He's scared. But David finds him and invites him to sit at the king's table. Unheard of. But not just once. Not just some charity event. Hey, come sit down one time. David says, specifically in that story, he says, you will always sit at the king's table. You are invited to forever sit at the king's table. This was a new concept. And we see even at the end of the story in Revelation chapter 3, there's this famous line where Jesus says, uh, I stand at the door and knock. Whoever opens the door and invites me in, I will come in and eat with that person. So there's this idea of, of a king sitting down and eating with a common person. And outside of God's design for the kingdom, that did not happen. Kings did not eat with common people. It just didn't happen. You think of the, the Middle Ages, and the system was known as the feudal system, where there were kings and nobles and lords and peasants, and the kings would hang out with nobles, and the nobles would hang out with lords, and the lords would, would hang out with peasants. But the kings never hung out with the peasants. Never. It was just this major separation. It's, it really is no surprise that it didn't, it didn't that, the, that the system didn't survive. After all, it was called the feudal system. You might as well call it the conflict system of government, because they just kind of would, you know, there's rebellion and revolution, etc. In that, in that whole system. But kings never sat down with peasants. Kings never sat down with commoners. Can you imagine what it'd be like as a disciple sitting down with the king of all kings? Here's the point I want to make here today. All are welcome at the king's table. All are welcome at the king's table. You don't have to be a noble. You don't have to be a lord. You don't have to be of certain birth. You don't have to uh, be all dressed up. You don't have to fix yourself up to fix broken things in your life. And once you get all those things in line and together, then you are welcome to sit at the king's table. Then you're worthy in some way to sit at the king's table. No, you don't have to take communion every week. You don't have to attend the 8 a.m. service. It'll help, but it's... But it's not the answer because all are welcome at the king's table because the king is a merciful king. The king is a merciful, gracious king. Many struggle with the Old Testament because we read it and we don't see much mercy out of the God of the Old Testament. But there's tremendous mercy in the God of the Old Testament. He's a merciful king and he always has been that there's this story in the Old Testament called the exile where they get, they get kicked out of Jerusalem. But it doesn't happen on a whim. God sends prophet after prophet after prophet, sends them to his people and says, please change your ways. 
Please says, in different creative, wild ways, God, out of his love for his people, sends prophets to speak to the people, say, please stop worshiping other gods. Please stop going in those other directions that are the exact opposite direction of the way of the Lord. Please stop that. Please embrace the one true God. God is very much a merciful king, always has been. And he sits at the center seat and invites all to sit at the table. So Jesus overhears the Pharisees talking to the disciples. So the Pharisees aren't bold enough to address the rabbi. They aren't bold enough to do that. They come in and they ask the disciples, hey, hey, what's this guy doing? Oh, we're not comfortable with this. And Jesus overhears that. And he he has a few responses. I'm gonna, there are three different things that Jesus says and then we're done here today. He says in verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It's not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. You see, you have the same sickness that I have and it's sin. You, you and I have the same sickness it's this sickness that is a tendency for us day in and day out, year in and year out, in every relationship we have to hurt others and hurt ourselves. You and I have this sickness and we can't stop it. We can hold it off for a while. We can have good moments, good days, etc. But we can't stop this sin. This is not something that time will heal. For most things in life, emotionally or physically, time will take care of it. Just over time, it'll, get, it'll fix itself. But with this sickness, time will not heal it. We understand this. There's no religious activity that can fix this. No book we can read, no thing we can do that can fix this. No other person, no priest, no rabbi, no, no person can fix this sickness inside of us. The only cure for this sickness is the king, is the doctor, is the physician. And, and, the, and the amazing thing about this, this sickness is that it's not just that we are welcome to the table even though we're sick, broken sinners. We are welcome to the table because we are sick, broken sinners. It's, you understand? It's not just in spite of the fact that we are broken. It's because we are broken. And it's those who are healthy, who don't think they need help from the king, from the doctor, the Pharisees, they're the ones who don't get to sit at the table. And so we can come and we can bring our imperfection. We can bring our insecurities. We can bring our anger we can bring our regret, we can bring our pain. We don't need to figure those things out before we come and sit at the table. We bring those things to the physician who can heal those things. We bring that stuff to the table. Secondly, Jesus says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So here's another example of how great of a teacher Jesus is. He doesn't just give everyone the answers all the time. But I love hearing, he just says, you go 
and learn what that means. He doesn't tell them, doesn't remind them what it means, et cetera. He says, you meditate on that. Think about that. You ruminate on that for a while. Because all at the table, all in his hearing would have known what he was referring to. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. They were all Jewish. They were Jewish tax collectors, Jewish disciples, and Jewish Pharisees. And they all knew that this was a reference to one of the uh, prophets in the Old Testament, Hosea. And now because we have study Bibles and the internet, et cetera, it's easy for us to find out where this was said. We can go back. It was found back in Hosea chapter six. We go back and Hosea is this prophet and he's dealing with people who were doing really well with all the rules. They were following the rules and doing the religious activities, et cetera. They were doing well with the sacrifices, with the religious stuff, but they were not loving God and they were not showing mercy to others. They were not loving God, not loving others. And so God, through Hosea, challenges them and says, I desire mercy more than sacrifice. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. Sacrifice is good. Sacrifice is a good thing. The whole idea of I'm going to hold off on this either for delayed gratification or for the benefit of somebody else, I'm going to sacrifice. I am not going to experience this, enjoy this or whatever for the benefit of some other uh, thing. Sacrifice is a good thing. Some of you are participating in Lent right now. And so you're sacrificing something, some item, something in your life for a long-term purpose. That's great. But sacrifices are always an outward experience. It's It's an outward act And the sacrifice itself is not the end game. It's not the end goal. The purpose of any sacrifice, of any outward act, is ultimately for the purpose of inward transformation. It's not for the purpose of the outward act. That's not the end goal. It's not the end game. It's an outward transformation. That that sacrifice is an, sorry, it's an inward transformation. Sacrifice is an outward thing. Mercy, mercy is an inward transformation. And Jesus says, that's what I want is the inside peace. Essentially, Jesus is saying, I don't want your religious practices. I don't, I'm not, I'm not all, I don't care all that much about how often you go to church or how often you do all that kind of stuff. All that stuff is, is for the purpose of transforming us on the inside. I don't want all of that stuff. What I want is you. What I want is your heart. It's like a, it's like a, a, a boy who longs for his father's love and affection and then makes a mistake. He's out in the garage and, and uh, I'll just hypothetically speaking, let's say he's getting a shovel off the wall. And hypothetically speaking, that shovel uh, is a little bit heavy for him when he's a young boy and then it comes down on a baby blue 1957 Ford convertible, <laughs> hypothetically speaking, and scratches the Ford convertible. And so then how does that young boy respond to that? The, the natural thing is to, is to be scared, to run, to hide, to put the shovel up and, and go, oh, no, I don't want uh, dad to find out what this happened. So they hide, we, we hide from dad. We don't sit at the table and, and, and all that. And it's so ironic because what the child longs for is dad's love and affection and attention and appreciation. And then when there's a mistake, because we're so afraid of losing this, we run away and hide. It's ironic. This is what we want. This is what we're afraid of losing. But when we screw up, we run away. It's ironic. 
And so Jesus, Jesus says, at this table, it's not a place where you have to figure everything out and avoid all scratches on all cars before you can come sit here and get my love and attention. But this is a place where you bring your brokenness. This is a place where you come and you, you sit and you bring who you are. This is a place where you will experience mercy. This is a table where we show mercy and Jesus models mercy and expects us to show mercy to one another. I desire mercy more than sacrifice. This is a place where you, where you come because Jesus is not saying, I want your perfection. Jesus is saying, I want you. Some of you need to hear that today. It's not, it's, you, you're thinking about what you've done last month or last week or, or, or you've, think, you've been thinking about some of the things that God does not approve of and it makes you not want to come to the table. It makes you want to run away even though what you desire is the love and affection of the king. And Jesus says, come, I don't want your perfection. I want you, I want you to come so we can figure out this stuff, we can talk about this stuff, we can work on it, we can get healing on this stuff. Third and final, Jesus says, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. The sinners are the ones who are sitting and enjoying the meal, the tax collectors. The righteous are the ones who are standing and evaluating the table. They're evaluating who's there and whether they should be there or not or whether the, the, the rabbi should have invited them or not. So which one are you? Are you the sinner at the table or the righteous not at the table? Now before you just quickly say, oh, man, what, 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 what am I gonna put on my plate? You know, before you just kind of assume, I'm at the table, I'm at the table, what do I, I want more food, you know, how, how can I enjoy this? Before you just assume that that's where you are, which, which one are you? Because, because we slip into the righteous often. It's because what makes someone righteous is they think they're better than someone else. The whole idea of being righteous is saying, I'm, I'm better than them. They don't deserve to be there. I'm evaluating them. I'm better than. Anytime we say, I'm better than someone else, we're righteous and we have no place at the table. This touches all of us. Who do you think you're better than? What professions do you think you're better than? When you're at stores or restaurants and there's interactions there, who in there do you think you're better than? Who in life do you think perhaps you're better than someone who's not as smart as you or doesn't make as much money as you? Who in life do you think you're better than? Do you think you're better than someone who's not as fit as you, who struggles with that part of their life and you've got a handle on it? Do you think you're better than someone who struggles with smoking, someone at work who has to slip out and they just, they just can't get away from that habit? Do you think you're better than people who are struggling with the bigger addictions? We're all, we're all addicted to something, but there are certain addictions that just seem to get more attention. 
Do you think you're better than those who are struggling with those addictions? Those who gather here on a weekly basis here as a part of our church and they come together and they love one another and they say, how did this week go? And they help each other out on a, on a regular basis. Are any of you better than the men and women who are struggling with those addictions? Anytime that we put ourselves in that category of being better than, we're righteous and we have no place at the table. This is a strong challenge from the king. Now, when we follow Jesus, when we accept that invitation to follow Jesus, we become better. We become better people. We make better decisions and we have better relationships and we feel better about ourselves, all those things. We get to feel better. There's a lot of better that's going on, but we don't get to say we're better than others. We don't get to to do that. That is not what happens in in the kingdom. Jesus protects all this. He says, it's the sinners who gather at the table, not the righteous. Just a few verses here. Jesus packs a wallop. He says, he says basically the same thing in three different ways here in verses 12 and 13. It says, first off at the top, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So if you are healthy and spiritually, you, you have a hard time kind of thinking of things that you've done wrong or things that you're struggling with because you're all fine. You're all fine. You're okay. Everything's okay with you then you're not sitting at the table. But it's when we are honest about our brokenness, our sinfulness, the ways that, the ways that we're hurting those around us, the, ways that the responsibility we have in the brokenness of our relationships, our marriages, our relationship with our kids, etc. It's when we recognize our part in that that we are welcome to sit at the table. Because we need help. We need a physician if we are focusing on our sacrificial offerings and we're, we're focused on that and hey, you know, we're just thinking about how much we give of our time and our resources and how, how sacrificial we are and wow, that, if we're focused on that, we're not sitting at the table. But if we, we, if we do those things for the purpose of heart transformation so that we can become merciful people and we show mercy to others, and we see then our own need for mercy, then we are welcome at the table. And then thirdly, if, if we are righteous, if we think we're better than others, anybody, we think we're better than anybody else, then we're standing and evaluating the table. We're not sitting at it. But when we bring the humility of saying, I'm a sinner, I need help, not just the one time when I said yes to Jesus 20 years ago, but on a regular basis, an ongoing basis, I am a sinner and I need help. All are welcome to the table. Not everyone comes, not everyone sits, not everyone accepts the invitation, but all are welcome at the king's table. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for the invitation. The invitation that rings out over centuries. 
Come, follow me. This invitation that was sent to 12, but, but is, is roaring, rippling to us here in Phoenix. Come, follow me. And I thank you, God, that this invitation is not that we would come and and perform a bunch of religious activities, that we would come and, and become good enough and stand next to the table until we're good enough and then we can be seated. But I thank you, God, for the mercy and the grace of the invitation that we, you say, come follow me and we get to come imperfect and broken and sit at the table and that you love us and you enjoy eating with us. I pray that you would... Make this clear for us this week that we are all welcome to the table. In your son's name I pray, amen.